happy to explain. I call it the uh, three P's of action that Anchor Baptist Church can partake in. And this first P action is to pray. You can pray for the work going on in Toronto, Canada. We haven't been up there as of yet. Like your pastor said, we've only been on deputation for six months, so we're, we're very new to it. And you guys saw the RV out there, so we travel uh, with that. And I learned that is a constant upkeep. I learned that very quick. But Anchor Baptist, you could be praying for the souls in Toronto already. Yes, we're not on the ground there officially right now, but you could pray that God begins working in hearts right now. You could pray that God begins to soften those hard hearts. For years and years, they've denied Christ. But you could be praying that God would soften those hearts right now. You could be praying that God would stir the hearts of the believers that are up there for revival, as well as pricking the hearts of the unbeliever for salvation. You could, be, uh, excuse me, you could also be praying for us as we're on the road. You could be praying for us as we're on the road. And like I said, we're, we're in an RV. It's a constant upkeep. So there's times that we have to stop and keep it going, if you get what I'm saying. But please be praying as uh, we travel that God would watch over us and keep us safe. But also we know that because we're doing the Lord's work, just as Anchor Baptist Church is doing the Lord's work in Maslin, we know that Satan's going to attack. And so please be praying that these fiery darts that Satan attempts to uh, shoot at us, please be praying that God would burn them out quickly. Please be praying that he'd quench them. And as you guys pray for us, we in return want to pray for you guys, because we know that with Anchor Baptist Church serving the Lord in Maslin, Ohio, we also know it's going to be likewise. And not only that, but we ask to pray for you. We ask you guys to pray, but we also ask to pledge with us. We also ask that you as a church could pledge in this ministry. And I think specifically of Philippians chapter 4 verse 17 where Paul was talking to the church at Philippi and they gave to his necessity and he in response said that because they did that, they have fruit abounding to their accounts. And so, dear church, with every missionary you support, I'll use the Thorntons as example, with every soul they have the opportunity to lead to the Lord, Anchor Baptist Church, you have a thumbprint in that. You have fruit abounding to your account in that. And it could also be likewise in Toronto, Canada. With every church, we have the blessed opportunity to establish for our Lord and Savior. Anchor Baptist Church, you have a name. Your name is right in that. It would be right in that. With every soul, we have the opportunity to lead to the Lord. Anchor Baptist Church, you could have your name right in that. You'd have a fruit abounding to your account in heaven. So we ask for you to pray. Please pray for us as we pray for you. And we ask, please pledge to this ministry. But we also ask for you to participate. And the way you can participate, participate is by carrying out the Great Commission. We know that the command in Matthew 28, 19 is to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And verse 20 concludes that matter, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. For lo, I am with you, Jesus speaking, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we ask that you would participate in the Great Commission. We ask that you would, in other words, continue to participate in the Great Commission. Maybe just in the short time I've talked about Canada in the five-minute video, maybe God's been working on someone's heart in Anchor Baptist Church for Toronto. And wouldn't that be a blessing if Anchor Baptist Church sent out a missionary? That'd be very awesome. And so maybe someone is feeling burdened 
from God to go to Toronto. Or maybe it's to go somewhere else in the world. Or maybe it's to start a church in Ohio. Whatever it is, we ask that you would also participate in the Great Commission. We ask that you would participate by continuing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in Massillon, Ohio. So you can pray, you can pledge, and you can participate. So we'll go ahead and we'll get into God's word this evening. And I would like to invite you all to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 uh, this evening, and we are going to go to verse 36 through 38. This is a very popular area of scripture, especially on the concern of missions, on the concern of mission. And so we see in Matthew 9, 36 through 38, uh, as we get to those verses, uh, obviously we want to talk about what's happening beforehand. We want to make sure we are talking about what's happening beforehand in these verses. And when you see verse 35 in the verses before, you see that Jesus Christ, he has worked uh, two amazing miracles amongst the people. We see that a blind man has been healed, but we also see that a dumb man who has been possessed by a devil, that devil has been cast out. And so in response, we also see, of course, the Pharisees. Well, we know how the Pharisees are when they see Jesus moving in a mighty way. They don't like it. And so we see in verse 35, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we see, And Jesus went about all the uh, cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. Now, verse 36 tonight is going to be the meat of this message, but we, of course, need to read 37 and 38. But verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scouted abroad as sheep having no shepherd. It is very important for you tonight, Anchor Baptist Church, to remember that Jesus Christ is speaking specifically about lost sheep. As we get into the message, verse 37, he says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we will digest this message tonight with one another. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the night you've given, your grace, your mercy. And God, I'm thankful for your holy word. Lord, we know that it is inerrant. It has no error. It is infallible. There is no fault in it. It doesn't matter what the world may try to say because we know that there is no error. We know that there is no fault. And we know, God, that you're a perfect God and you've given us a perfect word that you have preserved throughout the generations. And so when we see your word, God, we know that you are speaking to us. And so, God, as we open your word tonight, as we read what you have for us tonight, God, we don't need to hear Corey Wiltshire. God, we don't need to hear the missionary. We need to hear you. We need to hear you, God. Stir hearts tonight, I pray, Lord, and move in a mighty way. And, Lord, I pray that whatever you would have for us to do by the end of the message tonight, I pray, God, as the old hymn goes, that we trust you. And we obey you. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We thank you for all that you do, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So verse 37 and 38, we see God make a very strong promise to us. That strong promise is plain and short that if you, seeing the harvest, how plenteous it is, if you as a Christian see that, of course, you can pray for more laborers to go into the harvest. Because we know the laborers are few. We know the laborers are very few. There are some statistics that give us that confirmation. One statistic is by a man by the name of Aaron Earls, he conducted a research and he found the conclusion that 55% of your average churchgoer, that means they go every Sunday and every Wednesday or whatever weekday service they have, your average Christian, 55% of them, have never shared the gospel once in the past six months. So we can see by the statistics, the laborers are few. The laborers are very few. And so God makes a promise. He says straightforward, this harvest concerning the lost, it's plenteous. And work needs to be done. So therefore, in response, you as a Christian pray for laborers. And Jesus responds by saying, and I will send them. And I will send them. Now obviously we know that praying for laborers is not the labor of the Christian. The labor of the Christian is to go into the harvest and to share the gospel. That's the labor for the Christian. It, was, it would almost be like saying, if we were to say that praying for laborers would be our labor to God, it would almost be like we are saying to our boss, for example, at a secular job or whatever it may be, it, was, it would almost be as if we were saying, boss, you need to recruit more, uh, more workers here. We got a lot of work to do. But then in response, you say, now, boss, I told you what to do, so pay me for it. (laughs) See, it don't make sense for us as Christians to say, God, we need more laborers. Now, I've done my labor for the day. I told you what we need. No, our labor is to share the gospel. That's our labor. And so now that we have uh, introduced that, now we can get to the meat of this message this evening. Because what we learn, plain and short, by the statistics and by what's going on in the world today, we learn straightforward that the job's not getting accomplished the way it should. It's not getting accomplished the way it should. And so what we can learn in this message, we can learn, as verse 36 states, talking about the lost sheep who are scattered abroad, we can learn tonight, Anchor Baptist Church, that every Christian can share the gospel with these lost sheep. Every Christian can share the gospel with these lost sheep. And the way we do it, we do it by remembering both groups of sheep. And allow me to elaborate. See, when we look at verse 36, we see that very generally there's a lost group of sheep and they need a shepherd. And so we know already, plain and short, this isn't talking about Christians. I know that we are referred to as sheep from time to time in the Bible. I could think of Psalm 23. But we are not talking about Christians specifically in verse 36. No, we're talking about lost sheep. We're talking about sheep that have no shepherd. And so it is our job as Christians to show them where to get clean. It's our job to show the sheep who the shepherd is. The shepherd's not the government. The shepherd's not the school system. The shepherd is Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this, I believe that as Christians, sadly, The reason why we may have the statistics so low for sharing the gospel is I personally believe we are witnessing to only one group of sheep. And let me explain it. 
Let's talk about the two groups. This first group, group one, is the well-liked sheep. The well-liked sheep. And allow me to elaborate. See, the well-liked sheep, the whole purpose of the well-liked sheep is, one, they need the gospel. They do, because they're lost. But let me give you examples of who the well-liked sheep would be. First off, the well-liked sheep would be your friends and family that don't know Christ. Yes, they need Jesus. I'm definitely not dismissing that fact tonight. If you have a friend or family member that does not know Christ, they need to hear the gospel. But they are also a well-liked sheep. And the reason why is because the well-liked sheep are the ones that we are most comfortable with or familiar with. So let's keep going. Other well-liked sheep are maybe friends from your childhood. Maybe you played basketball, football. Maybe you're in music class with them during school. These would be sheep that you're familiar with. You know they're lost, but they're sheep that you know. Continuing on, they could be your coworker. They could be the coworker that's just across from the office from you. They could be the coworker that is in the factory setting with you, that you know well, but you also know that you know them so well that they don't know Jesus. Yes, they need to hear the gospel, but we're comfortable around them, amen? We know them. Going forward, how about the guy or the girl, how about the young family that we see in the grocery store aisle? But to be specific, this guy or girl, this young family we may see, they're very sharp-dressed looking. They look like they have their life together. They, their kids are happy to be there. They're paying attention to their parents. And you could see in the aisle that obviously their parents love them back. And we think, wow, what a great family. But they're all, they also don't know Jesus. If they haven't accepted Christ as their Savior, they don't know Jesus. But we're comfortable around them because they're well-groomed. They're well-groomed. They look like they could play the act of a Christian, and they could fool any Christian if they simply said, yes, I'm saved, or yes, I'm a Christian, because we look and we see, oh, I mean, they got their life together. They look pretty sharp. The, the kids love them. The parents love them back. They, they look good to go. Going forward, what about the stranger at the park? Maybe you're a mother or a father, and you take your kids to the park, and you know another family that goes to the park as well. You're comfortable, comfortable around them, but they still don't know Christ. Going forward, it could be the acquaintance at the gym. It could be the stranger that you know at the ball game. It could be your son or daughter's peewee coach. You know them so well, but they're still well like sheep because you know them. You're comfortable around them. You're familiar with them, but they still need to know Jesus. See, folks, I personally believe that when we look at the two groups of sheep, and we're about to get into the second group here in a little bit, I personally believe that the reason why sharing the gospel has declined so much in our lifetime today is because we're only witnessing to the well-liked or the well-groomed sheep. So now let's talk about the not-so-well-liked sheep. Let's talk about the, the sheep that almost act like pigs, they roll themselves around in the stink of the mud. They're brown and dirty. They don't have that white glow like a well-liked sheep does. They've been rolling around in the mud for far too long, or in other words, to be more literal tonight, they've wrecked their life entirely. 
And maybe we as Christians say in response, well, what they have in their life, they totally deserve because they brought it onto themselves. So let's talk about the not so well liked sheep. First off, I believe that Revelation 21.8 gives a very good definition of these not so well liked sheep. Revelation 21 verse 8 it says in Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, that sounds like a not-so-well-liked sheep. That sounds like someone that they've wrecked their life especially if they're a murderer, especially if they're a whoremonger, especially if they are pronounced as a liar to the point to where they lie every day. But let's get more specific with the not-so-well-liked sheep. How about the one who is addicted to alcohol? See, the one who's addicted to alcohol, we could look at them and say, well, they can't figure their life out. They can't escape the bottle. But why is it that Christians, many Christians today, why is it that we see an alcoholic and we say that they can't escape the bottle, but we escape from telling them the story of Jesus? Now, that shouldn't happen. Let's talk about the drug addict. We may say, wow, they cannot flee from the pill. They cannot flee from the syringe. They cannot flee from their addiction. But why is it that many Christians today, when they see a drug addict, they flee and go the other way without telling them what can happen with their life eternally? Going forward, and this is one that many of us could be guilty of tonight. What about the homeless man or the homeless woman? Now, see, I... Being around Cincinnati, you know, I go to Reds games. Unfortunately, we don't have the greatest baseball team. But, you know, going to a Reds game, you know, we we may park around somewhere and we'll be heading the Great American Ballpark. And if you've ever been to a major league ball stadium, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, or maybe if you're a Canadian and you go to hockey, whatever it may be, if you're in the city, you are for sure guaranteed just about to pass a homeless person. Now, when we look at them, we may accidentally make eye contact with them. And then when that happens, we look away sharply, hoping that they did not make eye contact with us. Why is that? Because many Christians today, or many people in general today, may be afraid that if I lock my eyes with a homeless person, they're going to beg for something, and they're going to ask for help. But why is it, and I believe it's in Proverbs chapter 14, where God says that we need to have mercy on the poor. But why is it that many Christians today, they hide the eternal truth that can make them rich for all eternity? We can't hide that away from them. We have the story of Jesus Christ that could change their eternity forever. Going forward... And folks, I'm just going to be honest tonight. The next few, they may make us uncomfortable. But Jesus Christ never said that sharing the gospel is going to be comfortable. So let's go forward. What about the gender confused? What about the gender confused? Yes, I know that's a nasty sin. But folks, even the blood of Jesus cleans the nastiest sin. Let's go forward. What about the homosexual? 
the one that is attracted to their same gender. Now, I know that's a sin, and I know what the Bible says about it, but the Bible does not say to hide the gospel away from them. Let's go forward even more. And now it might, now it's really going to get uncomfortable. What about the convicted rapist? I know what they did was wrong. We all know what they did was wrong. But that doesn't mean Jesus Christ stopped loving them. Now this one always gets me, and it's because of the circumstance I'm in. Because I am expecting a third child, and I have two other children. But folks, what about the pedophile? Now, I would never want, with the three kids that the Lord has blessed me with, I would never want something to happen to them in a manner like that. And I know that every father and every mother would respond the same way. But folks, they still need Jesus. They still need Jesus. What about... What about the abortionist? I know we disagree with them. I know what the Bible says concerning it. It is murder. It is wrong. But boy, they need Jesus. And we have the story that can change their life. See, the difference between the not so well-liked sheep and the sheep that are really well-liked, the difference is the well-liked sheep camp over here. We're very comfortable with them, and we have no problem sharing our faith with them. But the ones that are not so well liked, the ones that are almost acting as pigs, not sheep, the ones that are so caught up in their lust and their sin, those are the ones we feel uncomfortable around. But folks, can I tell you tonight, and like I said, this is the specific reason why I believe gospel sharing has gone down tremendously. Can I tell you this evening that the sheep are not going to get cleaner in the days we live in? They're not supposed to get cleaner. Folks, we remember from Revelation. We remember from Daniel. We remember from all the prophecies from Scripture that Jesus has always said, the world's not going to get better when I return. The world is going to get worse. Matthew 24, 3-8, Jesus Christ says specifically, these are the signs that you can look at specifically to tell that I am coming soon. And we know some of those signs are pestilences, wars, rumors of wars, folks that are saying they're Christ, but they're really not. And then the Bible also says concerning these days of age, the hearts of many shall wax cold. So the scripture confirms that the sheep are not going to get cleaner from the world. They're only going to get cleaner from Jesus Christ. And we have the story that can make it happen. So the question is, why should we hide it? We shouldn't. Because just as the well-liked sheep need it, so do the not-so-well-liked sheep. They, both camps need it. Both groups need it. And if you, uh, I love hymns. I love him so much. And before I share this story, Anchor Baptist, I challenge you. Well, I'm going to give you another challenge, obviously, tonight with the message. But just as a side challenge, I challenge you to look up the stories behind many hymns. There's a lot of stories behind hymns. There's a reason why these hymn writers put so much doctrine and heart in these songs. And I'm going to talk about one lady specific that wrote a hymn. And what this lady's name is, 
is Miss Anna W. Waterman. Now, Miss Anna W. Waterman, she has been married during, during her time of being alive. She was married for quite some time to her husband. They never divorced. They always stayed together. But there's one certain item that did not help their marriage too well. It did not bring their marriage together the way it should. And this one item was sin. And so this sin that was in her husband's life, her husband is named Charles. You see, Charles was a raging alcoholic. Every night he would go to the bar. Every night he would drink as many bottles of of alcohol as he could to the point to where he would stumble and fall. Now, just as a side note, I'm sure we know some people like that. We know they need the gospel. We know that they're they're not so well-liked sheep, but they still need Jesus. But continuing in the story, see, Miss Anna uh, Waterman, she didn't give up on her husband. She went to church every Sunday. She went to church every Wednesday. She went to every revival meeting. She went as much as she could. When the doors of her church were open, she walked right on in. That's how devoted she was to her Savior, Jesus Christ. But her husband was the polar opposite. So sin obviously kept their marriage in a way that it should not be growing. Because it's not, obviously. And so, as the story goes on, Miss Anna Waterman, her response to this was plain and short, I'm going to pray for my husband, and every chance I get, I'm going to share the gospel with him. I don't care if he's heard it one time. I don't care if he's heard it five times from me. I don't care if he hears it from his coworkers. I don't care how many times he hears it. Every opportunity I get, I am sharing the gospel with him because I know that Jesus can save him. And so not only does she share the gospel with him, but she also continually, as the story goes, almost every day prayed with her best friend in her own house, and they prayed for God to soften the heart of Mr. Charles Waterman. So years go on, one year goes on, two years go on, no effect, no difference, he's getting matter and matter as the gospel shared, he continues to catch uh, his wife and the best friend continuing to pray for him, he's getting matter and matter, and then finally, after three years, once again, his flesh tells him, Charles, it's time, it's time to go to the bar, it's just that time again, so Charles, he's He's doing his everyday life event. He's going to the bar. He's going to the bar, but only in the way that God knows something was different. See, he went through a couple drinks. (coughs) Excuse me. He went through a couple drinks, yes. But then at the bar, and like I said, only God could explain when we're in heaven someday because the story does not say specifically. But something Make Charles' mind change. I don't think it's something. I believe it's someone. Going forward in the story, he finally got tired of what he was doing. He raced home to see his wife. And, of course, guess what his wife was doing? Praying with her best friend. And guess what Charles did? Charles came rushing into the door, got on his knees in front of his wife, And he said, Anna, I've been a foolish man 
For years I've been drinking far too long. For years I've been hurting this marriage. For years you've been praying for me. For years you've been sharing the gospel with me. For years you have continued to be a good example by going to church while I go the other way to the bar. And Anna, I have to do it. I have to do it because I know I'd go to hell. Anna, how can I be saved? And on that day, two events happen. The first event is, praise God, Charles got saved. But the second event was Mrs. Anna Waterman wrote a beloved hymn that we know. I'm just going to sing the chorus. I don't have the greatest lovely voice, but I sing for the Lord. But this chorus goes like this, and many of you know it. It's written by Miss Anna Waterman. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Sing the next part. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. That's the story behind that hymn. See, Miss Anna Waterman recognized that her husband was a not-so-well-liked sheep. She didn't give up. She didn't dismiss him. She didn't divorce him. Nothing like that. She responded in love. She responded in compassion, just as the same way Jesus Christ showed compassion on her when she first got saved. And she prayed. She continued to share the gospel. And she did not dismiss her stinky, not-so-well-liked sheep that she had. And Anchor Baptist Church... The challenge is tonight, do not forget the not-so-well-liked sheep. Yes, the well-liked need the gospel, but the not-so-well-liked, they need it just as bad. I'll invite you all to stand, and I'll pray, and I'll hand the invitation over to your pastor. But I know that with a crowd this size, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I know with a crowd this size, somebody in here knows a not-so-well-liked sheep. Somebody in here also knows a well-liked sheep. And if you know one, the challenge during the invitation time is do not forget them. And the way that you can remember them is first you can come to the altar tonight and lay their name before an almighty God. What if tonight we all bombarded heaven with names that we knew, Names that were not so well-liked. Names that were well-liked, but they still don't know Jesus. But what if tonight, at the invitation, with a name that popped in our mind, we bombarded heaven, pleading to God to save their wretched soul? And not only that, but as you pray for them, also pray that God will give you the opportunity to be the witness in their life. With heads bowed, Lord, we thank you for the love you give us, your grace and your mercy. And God, as we conclude, Lord, there's sheep all over the world. There's sheep in the the United States. Many of them are liked, but there's also a lot that are not so well liked. And God, I know that it's the same occurrence in Canada. 
God, I know it's the same occurrence in Toronto. I know it's the same occurrence in Argentina. I know it's the same occurrence in Peru, in Papua New Guinea, in Australia, in Japan, and all of the uttermost parts of the earth. I know that there's two groups of sheep, the ones that we like, the ones that make us comfortable, but also the ones that make us not so comfortable. God, may we never forget the not so well-liked sheep. And may you receive all praise, glory, and honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.